The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the fifth chapter. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. It is also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for what you for you cannot make one hair white or black let what you say simply or be simply yes or no anything more than this comes from evil this is the gospel of our lord grace mercy and peace be with you from god our father and our lord and savior jesus christ amen <clears throat> So there's a chance that you heard today's gospel reading today, and it made you start to sweat. Jesus says, you have heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother or his sister is liable to judgment. I know y'all are good people. But I don't think anyone here has never not been angry. We've all been angry. 
Jesus is saying, y'all used to think it was enough just not to kill someone, right? We always say, I didn't kill anyone, right? When you do something wrong, I didn't kill anyone. But the stakes, Jesus says, are even higher than that. He says, if you're angry with someone, even if you use choice words with someone, God sees this as the same as having killed them. He sees it as murder. Already, we begin to see the teaching that Jesus has set up here. Jesus is epiphany. He is revealing the Father to us. He's revealing God to us. And that how God sees things and how we act is different from how we see things and how we act. To us, being angry with someone is not as bad as killing someone. And that's true. I would much rather have you be angry with me than kill me. Because you can be angry with me at your house by yourself, and I can be joyfully eating dinner with my wife. But if you kill me, I can't do that. You've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful thoughts has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The same goes for the ladies looking at men or reading romance novels, even if they're from the library. Sorry, I put that in there because uh, that has been told to me. They're from the library, Pastor. It doesn't count. Anyways, in fact, Jesus even teaches... Whoever divorces his wife, except in the case of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery, and the same goes vice versa. If you're saying to yourself, we could follow the rules before Jesus, but this is too much, you're right. You found yourself hit on the nose by what Paul calls the stumbling block. Jesus or the cross as the stumbling block of Jesus's ministry. People, all people, myself. According to our sinful nature, we want to save ourselves. We want to know the right rules So if we just can hit those rules, things will be okay, and we can just stop worrying about them. And by the way, because we have those rules, never have to trust in anyone but ourselves, let alone God. We figure it all out ourselves. We handle it ourselves. Don't worry, I'll handle it. Case in point, have you ever found yourself Thinking, saying, feeling this statement, well, I tried my best, right? I'm even of the millennial generation, which according to these studies that I have read in college, uh, they say that, and I've done this many times myself, you know, you get your essay back and it says you got a B 
which of course never happened to me. You get a B and you go, teacher, professor, why'd you give me a B? I tried really hard. I tried my best. Isn't that what counts? That's what my coach said in T-ball. But we zoom this out. We tried our best not to get angry. We tried our best with our marriage. We tried our best to raise our kids. Or how about this one? I've already mentioned it before. I didn't kill anyone. Sure, sure, you know, I did this, I did this horrible thing, but I didn't kill anyone. Everything's okay. If you've thought these things, felt these, felt these things, said these things, congratulations, you have justified yourself. You've justified yourself. I've justified myself. I do it constantly. And this is why Jesus pushes so hard in the Sermon on the Mount. He doesn't want us to justify ourselves. <laughs> One, because we cannot And two, because he wants to justify you. Oh, you didn't kill anyone? Well, just anger with another person is sin, Jesus says. Oh, you didn't commit adultery? Well, just having those lustful thoughts is sin. Jesus pushes so hard so that you realize it is impossible for you to follow all the rules. Yet, Jesus says, they still apply. He said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And Jesus says, they do, in fact, hang over your head in view of now and in eternity. They weigh on your conscience. And that is a big reason why Jesus is here. And that's the one and only reason I'm here to help you with your conscience to hear your sins, and to forgive them. There's nothing that you can do about it. There's nothing I can do about my sin on my own, on your own. And these sins do, in fact, separate us from not only God, but from our family and our friends as well. They hurt God. They hurt our neighbor. You are a sinner. I am a sinner You need a savior. I need a savior. And it's easy to say these words. I'm a sinner. There's this uh, big wig in the synod who would always be on the radio. And a professor of mine would always run into him when he would go into the International Center, which is like our home base down in St. Louis. And he would say, hey, how are you doing? And he would go, I'm bad. I'm a sinner. Yes, we get it. You're bad. You're a sinner. I'm bad. I'm a sinner. But it's another thing entirely to confess our sin. It's an entirely different thing to say, I'm a sinner. And another thing entirely to confess or lay out before God in all its ugliness our sin. 
And that's why we tend to hide it. When left to our own devices, our own vices, we slip into believing that our sins are not as bad as others. Case in point, what do you mean I hate someone? What do you mean I'm angry with someone? I didn't kill them. Makes sense to us. Doesn't make sense to God. Self-justification leads to a myriad of other sins and hurts in the world. Anxiety, excusing yourself, conflict in your relationships. Like Adam and Eve, we choose to hide from God in shame. I was afraid, Adam said, because I was naked, so I hid myself. But God is not ashamed of the nakedness of our sin. Instead, he basks in being able to see you for who you are, and why he, that is why he delights in the confession of your sin before him, because you're like Adam and Eve when he used to walk and talk with them in the garden, and he saw them without their, their, their clothing, without their fig leaves. Choose what you want. Remember that Jesus Christ joyfully embraced the shame of our sin on the cross so that he could remove it forever. And so because of this, because of Jesus Christ, there's no shame in confessing before God. Confessing before your fellow Christian, confessing before your pastor, no matter how ugly it might be. The only real ugliness is to try and live with all that ugliness inside without help. And by the way, as I was thinking about this, uh, most likely only you believe that you are able to keep that ugliness inside. It might be apparent to most everyone you talk to. And so we're clear. You don't need to justify yourself and explain away your sin. Jesus already knows that you and I are sinners, and he watches you at all times as your good shepherd. He knows you and I need a savior. So he saved you. So he saved me. It is impossible to escape this sinful condition. You'll continue to be a sinner till you die. And together we confess each Sunday that we are poor, miserable sinners, both by nature and in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We lay out our dirty baggage before the Lord together as a community. And through his word in my mouth, and as a servant of Christ called and ordained to Christ's office of the ministry, I forgive you all of your sins. Remember that these words are not my own, but Jesus's. I encourage you all to begin this practice not only in church on Sunday, but also in private devotion at home. 
in private devotion in the car, in private devotion at work, at the gym. If any specific sins continue to press on your heart or on your conscience, I'm prepared to deliver the right of private confession and absolution with you. Remember, any sin you confess goes into my ear and dies forever. Your sin does not rise from the tomb like Jesus does, like you do. Your sin dies forever when you confess it. You will be forgiven in heaven and on earth, and it will go away. And I will forget about it. When you come to this table, knowing and recognizing you are a sinner in need of forgiveness, like the woman of Bethany, Jesus will give you his body and his blood for the forgiveness of sins. If the devil has you thinking you are beyond love, that you are beyond being redeemed, throw something at him like Martin Luther did and say, silence, devil, I'm baptized. I am Christ. I am forgiven. My sins are washed away. You have no power over me. Jesus would preach in many of his sermons these words, we cannot receive forgiveness often enough And we should receive it in all kinds of ways, for we remain sinners until we die, even though, even through faith, we are righteous. You are always a sinner. You are always saved by faith in Christ. Both are true at the same time. It's an unfortunate result of being this side of his return. But know that God rejoices to forgive you. He rejoices. It makes him glad. It's sweet smelling to show you his mercy instead of to condemn. The more that confession and receiving Christ's forgiveness becomes a habit in your life, you'll notice it flowing into your day-to-day life. You'll be more patient You'll be more loving. You'll be more understanding. You'll be uh, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You'll begin to be like God. You'll begin to be like Jesus. You'll reconcile with your brother or your sister. Because remember, this is Jesus's end goal here. He's not saying you, you, uh, you can never be angry again. You can, you can never think lustful thoughts again. He would love for you to, but you're not gonna. He would love it if no one ever got divorced. Everyone had a loving marriage. But that's not what always happens. And it breaks hearts. It breaks the hearts not only of those involved, the two involved, but the children, the grandchildren. And so Jesus would like reconciliation. And that's what he's getting at here. He would like reconciliation, forgiveness, patience, love, mercy. In the face of incredibly difficult situations. Above all else, as you begin to develop this habit, you'll you'll default to positive constructions 
on those that you are in conversation with. You'll free yourself from neurotic loops that swing you deeper into depression or OCD or anger. You'll realize that it's better to delete Instagram than to look at bikini pictures. It's better to delete Facebook than to waste your time or get into an argument because Christ says if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter your life maimed than to taste hellfire. Know that Jesus doesn't only forgive you and send you on your way. Jesus, each and every time, climbs down here with you. He gets dirty with you. And he helps you to lead a holier life. And this starts small. It looks like reading a chapter of Matthew when you feel that mental need to grab your phone and look at whatever you look at. Or praying silently or sub-vocally or even out loud if you must while you are boiling in your anger. You have died with Christ. You have risen with Christ. You have his new life in you. You can change. You can be better. It is Jesus' promise. Reconciliation begins between you and God. And Jesus makes peace between you and him. God, that is. And that reconciliation will flow into your relationships, both with God and with your brother, your sister, your son, your daughter, your grandchild, your daughter-in-law, your son-in-law, your father, your mother, your grandma, your grandpa. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds. In Christ Jesus. Amen.